Hello. Hey, you're in. It seems like it. Does this sound okay? This sounds good. This sounds good. No, obviously there's no faces now, but anyway, I just saw your face, so I <laughs> that's probably enough for. No, you're there. Enough for a few months for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So look, how are things? How are you? Uh, very well, thanks. Uh, I guess it's um, a couple of ooh, how long is it? About three weeks or something since I was at Tour de Gion in uh, in Italy, um, uh, and um, recovery was. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a big one. So recovery um, was was slow at first because you don't really sleep much. Um, resting heart rate took a little while to come back down, but feeling pretty good again. Thanks. Back doing sort of workouts and stuff. Um, yeah, all good. Fantastic. Now that that is a big one, and I'm glad you um, you you said it because I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. <laughs> um, but um, that's well, that's is it Italy? Yeah. So it's northern Italy. Uh, the northern Italian Alps, um, but it's very close to UTMB. So it uses, and, and UTMR, it uses Cormier as the base. And Cormier is like the halfway point at UTMB, roughly. Um, but you just leave, you know, you go in a different direction. You go into Italy rather than sort of background into Switzerland and France. So it's the same area, but the course is actually fairly different. It's bigger climbs. It's wilder. There's more altitude. Um, it goes on for much longer and it's all round. It's called the Aosta Valley and it's a massive circuit of the Aosta Valley on some on some established hiking trails, actually, mostly. Um, and it's just gorgeous. It's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was watching some of the footage and, and looking at the pictures and it is it's it's just stunning. Um, it, it always wobbles me because I have a bit of fear of heights. So even seeing you guys doing it, I, I get that sort of stomach yeah. drop. Um, but but equally, it, look, it just looks so exciting. But how how far was your one? Uh, so I was doing the uh, the three hundred the three hundred and thirty k, the kind of middle distance, which is kind of the flagship one. But the the longest one is is newer. Um, but uh, yeah, most runners agree it's not three hundred and thirty kilometers. It's more like three hundred fifty kilometers. Um, and and yeah, the the the, vert, the overall vert as well. I've I've forgotten what it is, but maybe thirty thousand foot. Um, no, sorry. Uh, maybe it's 30,000 meters, like UTMB's 30,000 foot. Um, yeah, lots and lots of climb um, and, and, and lots of distance. And yeah, it's even taken the runners, you know, over the winners over three days. Um, and most people are allowed close to a week to sort of to finish it. A week? Pretty much, I think. I mean, it's kind of like the spine race. It's 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 that sort of thing where you're just going to be very tired and the clock's always ticking um and this one is a lot slower because you're going up and down mountains rather than sort of up and down um in and out of bogs as it is on the spine race um but the difference one difference is actually there are a lot more options there are a lot more huts to sort of stop in and and, and eat and, and sleep if you want so yeah you'd never say it's easier than the spine and it, it isn't um but there's more options to stop and sleep and eat um but of course, yeah, the terrain is 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 harder, is more grueling. So is that, I mean, every every race has its own characteristics, doesn't it? And uh, and this one you're describing here with these these little huts, I'm sort of seeing you there and with a with a spoon and a bowl of something and and trying to get some some nosh in. <laughs> uh, but but I'm just wondering how how you prepare for something that's that's so long and and so grueling. What is what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, if you're preparing for a 220 mile race, um, 
it doesn't make sense to run, you know, to do a 200 mile run in training, you know, that would be seriously sort of <laughs> debilitating. Um, to an extent, you've got to rely on, on on your background of several, hopefully several years of training and and, and, and some big races, in, you know, in there. I, I mean, I would assume most people who take on the Tour de Gion have at least done a hundred mile race uh, sometime in the not too distant past. past. Um, funnily enough, actually, I think on the website, there's no real qualifying race. It does. I think it encourages you to have at least done a hundred K, which is, I think is sort of, quite a relaxed uh, approach um but actually the whole race is a bit like that in that in that yeah some of the rules are a bit vague and and um you know the kit list is 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 very small and not checked um which is actually quite refreshing compared to some of the other races um but yeah how do you train yeah i think you rely on on a background of good volume over a few years um and yeah if you don't get to some sort of mountains or big lumps and run down them well you know your your legs are going to get very sore very soon so you need some of that conditioning or, or you know some strength training can help there and then one yeah there's more factors though it can be quite hot uh it was quite hot in the first two days 30 degrees maybe in the valleys and then also there is altitude um which can really mess people up and um reading some of the blogs of previous runners there what happened was quite a lot of the altitude and the big climbs are early on so it really sort of throws it at you and, and people were feeling quite ill sometimes sort of you know only 50 or 100k in um but actually the race gets the, the the profile is is a bit kinder after that um there are still some huge climbs but the altitude isn't as, as isn't as punishing later on so it's almost like if you can get through that first sort of 50 100k um you know you do you're doing quite well but um i did i was lucky to be able to go out there and, and do three days wrecking the course a bit and I intentionally got to the higher sections and then um and also yeah yeah you used a local sauna quite a lot um which is seen as kind of your poor man's altitude training but it seemed to work for me actually um you know I wasn't wasn't um wasn't some uh you know I wasn't like Killian Journey at altitude but I wasn't suffering as much as some people so I felt um quite relieved um there but yeah that's just another another factor of, of the race that makes it difficult. Yeah. So that was part of your planning then was think, right, okay, look, if I can get through that, that bit in the best way I can, then that sort of sets me up nicely for, for the rest of it. Yeah. I've heard from a few people that once you get to uh Konye, Konye, I think it is, uh, which I think is a hundred K I've forgotten off the top of my head. There are basically six, six life bases and that's where you can sort of get to your bag and, and there are beds ready. And, um, so you, if you look, think of the race as sort of seven times roughly 50k, um, and every of those 50k's involves at least you know going up and down at least one mountain, sometimes three or four. Um, that's a good way to break it up. Um, uh, and yeah, I knew that I may well feel unwell at Konye, but actually I felt I felt good, so I, I felt quite relieved at that. Um, and then yeah, you just carry on. And then later on, it probably was the the sleep deprivation became the real influential factor in my race. Um, and I suppose I could have done a bit better with maybe more preemptive sleeps and, 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 and fueling possibly, but it's so hard when you're going for like four days or more, you know, to get it right all the time. It, it's almost impossible. I'd say to have it optimal, you know, at all times, you're definitely going to misjudge it sometimes. Um, 
and maybe the secret is realizing you're misjudging it and and uh you know sorting it out sooner i suppose but yeah i just i love i love these races with all these different factors um and you know if you maybe if you do deal with the sleep day deprivation really well but the altitude gets you you know or um so i, lo I love it when it's all these yeah all these different elements to 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 try and to try and navigate and, and do well on yeah, I mean, it's an adventure, isn't it? It's, it's not just going for a run. You, you've got all these things to, to consider. And, and it's always easy to look back, I guess, and say, oh, well, I could have done this in day one or, or day two. But at the time, surely you're just making the best decision you can with what you've got. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's definitely easy um, to, to sort of look back at retrospectively correct things. Um, um but i can't <laughs> i can't help doing it anyway so yeah there are two or three things i'm very keen to go back again next year and give a better account of um of myself um yeah there are two or three things i would do differently in the race um so i'm i'm keen to yeah give a better performance there but but overall and i was just writing a bit of a social media post earlier today actually about this i haven't posted it yet but yeah that that although some things in the race didn't go well I, you know i just absolutely loved it and that was the that's the the best thing and that's the key thing to take home and, and to remember that yeah I love doing this stuff and part of part of it is that it's different things don't always go the way you hope I mean they almost always don't go the way you hope um but I you've got to be able to you know if you like the sport then that's just part of it and you've got to you know you've got to embrace it really yeah you know these challenging moments that's that's where you really find out I mean you know you've been helping me and coaching me and that's been brilliant and but so I, I just have some insights from, from what I've done over the last few years but not to the extent of these kinds of races but but though when you look back and think about those tough moments or the people that you ran with the people that you met you know they're all the bits that really stand out the fact that you did manage to keep going and then sometimes you don't you know sometimes you, you can't keep going in that moment and you look back and go oh I should have I should have just done this I should have done that but actually in that moment there was no other choice the only choice you know the the gremlins took over or whatever whatever you want to call it the uh, the mind takes over and you're just kind of stuck with with that and then you can learn from it I guess yeah yeah I mean that's kind of why we're in it I I, I think or it's why I'm in it for, for adventures and adventure kind of the definition of adventure really is that like something hasn't quite gone to plan because you know if everything went smoothly it's I don't know if it is an adventure you know um and yeah there are all sorts of um catchphrases aren't there around that uh around that idea one that <laughs> they're not springing to mind my mind's emptying and going blank just as I said that but um Oh, well, one of them is kind of you win or you learn, you know, that's, that's, yeah. you know, a bit, a bit glib, but like, there's something in that, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know, I know that race really well now, and I can go back and um, hopefully go back and, and, and yeah, do it a bit differently. But yeah, overall, I had a brilliant time. Um, and, and lucky, yeah, lucky to be able to do these things, lucky to be healthy, you know, we forget. And then, yeah, you put it in wider context again, you know, some countries at war, some people, you know, have much tougher lives than we do. So it's it's a luxury to be able to do this stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, that I mean that that kind of thinking keeps you keeps your feet on the ground. Um but but nonetheless, you know, this this sort of sport um it still seems to be continuing to explode in in popularity. Um and I don't know, do, do you reckon it's because people just 
want to get more i mean again this is another sort of glib phrase isn't it they want to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable what do you what do you reckon yeah i was asked about this recently i've just uh, <laughs> i was interviewed recently by a journalist who's doing a piece it's just come out i mean i mean harrods magazine oh which i was quite surprised <laughs> i surprised at it doesn't seem the logical place to see ultra runners um <laughs> But yeah, she was she was asking me the same question. And I suppose my, my previous book, In It for the Long Run, sorry for the awkward plug, but um, I guess that what was what I was trying to get at in that book as well is like, why the heck? When I first got into this sport 10 years ago, it was like, why are people just like hurting themselves and making themselves miserable? Um, you know, running 100 miles, uh, you know, running through the night, you know, throwing up, you know, you, you know, sitting in puddles of their own urine and sobbing, you know, why are they doing that? And yet at the same time, I couldn't, I found it massively appealing, even addictive. Um, you know, what was I getting from it? Um, and I think ultimately it did come down for me to like feeling alive and, and that it's not like I sleepwalk through every day, but I do think we, we, we've got so far from our sort of primal, what it is to be human, um, you know, our lives in Western societies are, are, are pretty safe and predictable and we don't, you know, and yet we've still got that kind of primal animal almost in, inside us that, that that needs a bit of, you know, fight or flight and needs a bit of um, uncertainty perhaps. Um, and so we, we can sign up for these quite safe, really, um, in most cases, sort of adventures um, and, and I love doing that, I, you know, roughly three times a year, I'll, I'll take on a big challenge where, um, yeah, where it's going to, I mean, most of the time nowadays, I'm reasonably confident I can get to the finish, but it's not guaranteed at all. And, you know, I'm going to go through all the emotions, um, you know, there's a good chance I'll cry, I'll scream out loud, I'll be angry, I'll be euphoric um, at times. Uh I'll, I'll make new friends. I'll just have all the experiences, possibly just in 24 hours and, and possibly even, you know, not all that far from my house, you know. And, and that's amazing that we can do that, I think. And it does feel important to me to do that sometimes. And I think to a lot of other people, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good to hear you you say that, actually. And, and particularly around the crying, I, I find you just suddenly get overwhelmed with with this this emotion um, for, for no apparent reason. <laughs> sometimes um yeah i call it a kind of rawness um yeah a kind of rawness i think for me um and it could be to do with tiredness and stuff but yeah it's amazing isn't it it's it's amazing these sort of yeah raw emotions i suppose and that, there's the metaphor about it being an onion an onion being peeled during the race you know you're the onion um and yeah it's going to lead to tears at some point yeah yeah but i think it's also fair to say that this kind of sport attracts people um, who are trying to grow in in some way? You know, I, I'm not a fan of the the term mental health because I think it it suggests the mind is separate from the body. But we'll just use it for convenience sake here. So it does seem to be something that that people uh, use as a way of of dealing with their their demons, their difficulties, maybe depressions, anxieties, and and such like. It does appeal to those people. And, um, you know, on many occasions I've had, you know, fascinating chats, um, you know, going around, going around the course. Um, have you got any insights into that at all? What, why that attraction would be the case? Um, well, I think, I mean, early on, that was my big surprise, actually, that, that running gave me this extra sort of mental 
element, um, this happiness, I suppose, um, that I hadn't considered. So um, that it was different. So my background really was kind of playing football, um, you know, just recreationally. But but like, you know, I played maybe three times, two or three times a week um, and and hike, hiking, uh, you know, walking in the hills, you know, maybe in the Cotswolds, but maybe in big mountains, too. Um, and there was something but there was something about running that gave me like this extra level of sort of meditation or um peacefulness I'd, um i would often come home and what i re realized early on when i started running regularly you know or sort of you know almost every day um i mean the i mean this sounds cliched to a runner perhaps but i, I it's good to remind myself of it i would sometimes leave the house you know not being totally happy about something uh whether that's a discussion with my with my wife or not um, or, or something about work, you, you leave the house with some frustrations, and and s almost every time, an hour later, I'd come back, and that frustration didn't exist anymore. It'd been erased. It didn't matter, perhaps, um, or I'd got the solution, or you know, and that that was such a valuable thing to find. That that's I'd say that for me, it's been a life changing thing to find um, that that sort of daily, yeah. I, I liken it to meditation, I, I suppose. Um, yeah, that, that that's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so powerful, isn't it? Because essentially it's something that you you can do. Uh, you're not you're not sort of seemingly reliant on anyone else uh, or, or anything external. It's just something you can choose to do um, and, and seemingly so easy to to get out the front door and, and just go and go and do it. Yeah. I mean, it's so flexible. You, you know, you can do it any time of day. You don't need anyone else to be involved. Um the cliche at least is all you need is a pair of shoes um you know um it's 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 wonderfully wonderfully flexible um and 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 also around that time i was you know i'd recently become a parent so um time was very limited and and very you know i could only go out at for example i don't know six in the morning and maybe after eight at night really um and that 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 did not suit playing football or, or hiking in the hills locally you know so um yeah it's wonderfully flexible and simple activity yeah yeah no indeed indeed now as you know well um i'm, I'm into pain in in the right mm -hmm. way um so i'm always interested to know about how how people deal with those kind of painful or, or we could say difficult challenging moments um when when you're out on the course have, have you got particular strategies that you kind of rehearse and practice or things you just find yourself doing to get over that or those or get through those moments of, of difficulty yeah I, I mean the first thing i do nowadays is is i eat i usually eat and drink a bit more um and sometimes if it's leg pain that that can that can diminish um diminish um diminish that sensation a little um i guess also i'm just experience of sort of doing it for 10 years you just kind of think yeah your legs hurt now doesn't mean they're going to get any worse necessarily. Uh, I think that was my fear early on. Like you'd, you'd be, you know, 20 or 30 miles in and your legs, especially your quads, they were hurting and you just kind of thought, I can't, you know, if it's got, if they hurt this much, you know, on 30 miles, how are they going to feel on 90 miles? But actually they, they don't usually get much worse. They usually, I, I think, get to a sort of state of fatigue where they're grumbling and, and they'd quite like you to stop, but they don't necessarily get worse from there. Uh, um, so there's that experience level that you remember. I mean, some other little tactics are, um, I, I, you know, I do quite enjoy a bit of music in races. So sometimes it's the deal that 
I save the music till when my legs hurt um, and I'm not allowed the music till till then. So it's almost like a bit of a treat. Oh, I'm hurting. Oh, I can get my get my uh, get to pow in my ears. Um, so. Yeah, that's one strategy um, again. Um, pain, pain, pain. It's an interesting word, isn't it? As, as you all know, because I interviewed a French elite runner back when I was sort of doing doing journalism. Um, and my question was, yeah, how do you deal with how do you deal with pain in a race? And he kind of said, oh, if I'm in, if I'm in pain, I stop. Oh. So like his concept was, so I guess his understanding of pain was, you know, a real painful injury. And I guess I meant, you know, your legs hurt. But to him, he hadn't considered that to be pain, really. So I guess that's another thing I try and tell myself is, yeah, is is, is fatigue. Um, yeah. So that's the most common thing for me would be my legs starting to, well, hurt or yeah. I mean, the, the word you use is is very powerful. Um, you know, you you might just say, you know, your legs are sending you messages or your legs are sending you, you know, they're having some sensations. Uh, for me, I would I would try not to think of that word pain because it's more likely to like work in a sort of mindset where you might start rationalizing that you're allowed to sort of stop or give up so I, i'm yeah I, I try not to use that word too much as well i suppose um is yeah is another tactic yeah so i guess there you it's interesting what you said there about you know is is the, the words or the language we're using to ourselves that that inner talk is that directing me towards giving me the option to stop here or to give up or am i using language that just kind of says look you know, I've been running this amount of time up and down this stuff. It's inevitable that you're going to feel some stuff. It's okay. I can just carry on. Yeah, yeah. I think I think um, I think it could be really a really clever, um, a really sort of subtle but clever thing to do. Is yeah, how are you talking to yourself about it? Um, now, so so now I still think more like that French. Try to think more like that French one. Who? Yeah, it was Julien Julien Chaurier who's, um, yeah, done, done some impressive things on the trails. Um, and I think, is it really pain? Like, this is only what you would expect from from running 50 miles in the mountains. You know, you'd expect, you know, some foot, maybe a little bit of foot discomfort, certainly some quad discomfort. Um, your glutes are probably feeling heavy. You know, this is, this is normal. This is just what the body, you know, that's how it responds. It doesn't mean anything's necessarily going wrong. Um, but then, of course, yeah, if, you, if you're... Um, yeah, you can if you're not in such a great place, or if you're underfueled, or you can start to think of those things as being bigger than they are. But um, um, I mean, yeah, another thing is to simply, you know, ha have a, you know, I try not to sit down at aid stations in most races, hundred miles or less, anyway. But you know, sometimes you need to, you know, have a sit down, have have something to eat and drink, um, and and think, is it really that bad, you know? And and sometimes just giving your feet a rest, you go, oh, oh, yeah, don't feel that anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah all about keeping going well uh i mean one good tactic is is it's become a bit of a cliche again i think but but like you know decide what your why is um pre-race you know what is it wh why are you doing this um and that's going to be totally individual and different different for each people uh sorry for each person so so have a think beforehand um and i mean for me it's usually you know a couple of things i mean early on and still now, I suppose I try and tell myself I'm doing it for my children. Um, but yeah, they're not they're not interested or impressed. <laughs> um, but that helps me emotionally a lot, actually. And think I'm teaching my children, you know, not to give up easily. That that you know, there are all sorts of metaphors, aren't there, in, in long distance running? But but you know that that the, the good things in life, you have to work harder for them. You know, um, 
those sorts of things that you know patience um discipline you know perseverance they're all they're all decent things to to, to think about and practice uh, and celebrate um uh yeah but, but people have to decide on their individual things what, what's motivating them i mean to people who are incredible at, um you know the classic thing is fundraising fundraising so you know nikki spinks and uh ran fines actually um they both have sort of some, some history with cancer so they're both when they're doing big things they're fundraising often for for um cancer charity personal to them so that's, that's a huge personal motivation there totally individual but a really strong why um and yeah you know even if it's your first london marathon but you're fundraising i mean it's a, that's a huge why yeah. right there so um that sort of thing obviously i find it harder to, to raise money nowadays you know because i'm doing races that are two or three hundred miles you know people aren't going to jump and sponsor me when i do a 10k <laughs> but, um, but so i don't necessarily fundraise you know directly that much but um yeah i mean that's that's a classic case of yeah knowing your why and having a good motivation yeah yeah no definitely definitely so um you you did me you mentioned your previous book which is great and um I'll, I'll put that on the uh, on the show notes um, as, as well as the the recent one. Um, and um, as I was saying before we started recording, I've I've just got to to the end of it. And oh, wow, it, it blows your mind. It blows. Oh. I, I mean, the, actually, the first thing that blew my mind was how on earth did you collect all this data and then synthesize it into a book? Now, you don't have to answer that question because it's <laughs> not it probably wasn't a very, very interesting process um but um but wow i mean you've you've put in some serious hard work there to to raise the awareness so how, how did that come about well thank thank you for that um and actually yeah that was my almost my big problem actually when i when i was doing it well for, for starters yeah i missed two if not three deadlines um and then i handed the book in ten thousand words too long um so that I, that probably says more about me than than anything else but um yeah i did i had a bit of you know sort of imposter syndrome because i'm not you know i'm not a scientist i don't even have a science background but i had to write this book it had to be accurate i had to reflect all the different arguments um pro you know properly and, and 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 according to the science and what experts are saying so it took a long yeah i collected a lot of stuff i probably collected too much stuff but that's kind of what i did as a almost my my insecurity with the subject matter um made me sort of yeah I, I mean i bought over 30 books there's a pile of them right next to me here and you know listen to endless podcasts and obviously you, you can read lots of things online um but yeah i collected too much stuff i think and then and then my big fear and then and then i had this sort of i want to get it all in there yeah. <laughs> um and then my big fear was like is this even readable like there are so much there are so many you know statistics and um and 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 things like then I, then i had to make it readable and i um uh, and that was the battle, I think, was was that's why there are sort of some box outs in there, for example, where you just get some stats so that if people want the stats, they can jump in and get them quickly. But hopefully it's not interrupting the flow of the of the copy, you know, the flow of the argument um, too much. So, yeah, thanks for noticing that. I, I, I still wonder if I've ever done it a bit, especially, um, you know, the clothing and kit chapters early on. There was so much. It's so complicated. Some of this stuff. Um, I mean, yeah. I could give examples, but maybe I'll, the danger is once I go in, once I start going in, I just go in and in and go on about it forever. But I mean, just some of the stuff on kit is like, I don't know, is recycled polyester, is that good or bad? Um, 
and and there are huge you know if you go on linkedin for example and you start following the, the sort of people i follow nowadays you know they're debating that every day people in the industry um and and there isn't i can't i can't it's 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 hard for me you know i can't even decide myself um and they're debating you know every single material for our kit you know bamboo uh, you know um sort of vegan leather thing you know or bio materials biodegradable materials you know there's so much especially when it comes to the kit our kit there's so much debate and and um complexity um but yeah even those three chapters that probably i don't know three chapters whether that's thirty thousand words or not but yeah it got a bit dense in there and, and i did cut things out towards the end um but yeah it's 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 intense <laughs> it's intense and complex um is, is, oh and how did it come around that wasn't even your question was it um how did it come about yeah so it's the same publisher and i'd love to credit kirsty reed who's um yeah a seasoned ultra runner who i've known a few years um and and who's been at uh, vertebrate for a couple of years and she's commissioned a lot of these uh brilliant new books they've got coming out about running Rini mcgregor's sabrina verges um ali bevan's um and my previous book um and robbie britton's book um so she's she really understands ultra running or running and has been you know commissioning running books um for a year or two um and it was well we actually had a slightly different idea i i, don't, I can't really say it out loud you know because we, we we may well that we might do another book and and i you know i want to keep that idea a bit secret. Yeah, keep it, it a bit from keep it quiet yeah <laughs> um it came from a different idea and then we sort of had this this kind of idea of like being a sustainable athlete what does that mean and then and then that became you know sustainable running what what you know and but at the same time for the last 3 years now i suppose i've been very interested in uh, what parts of my running are, are causing damage where could i improve um you know and feeling some guilt you know certainly for say you know i haven't flown for 3 years now but but certainly flying to a race how much damage was i doing what about if i i don't know fueled without plastic waste you know was that enough was that okay and what about the you know what food i was putting in or, or what about my kit um how much of that was causing a problem um you know so i had all these questions and that allowed me she sort of gave me the invitation to go away and, and really look into all of that stuff um so yeah huge credit to her thank thank you kirsty <laughs> yeah well I, I mean yeah fantastic but but it's interesting you know you were talking about the uh, the complexity of it all but, but sometimes that's got to be the start point, hasn't it? I mean, particularly for me to now know, hey, wow, this is really complex. There's there's a lot of arguments going on. That That is the state of play, which I, I now know, as opposed to saying, well, actually, this is good. This is bad. Um, and, and you know, you, there is there are a lot of stats in there. And, and, you know, first of all, you're trying to remember them. And then and then I sort of I must have I did sort of give up a little bit. But I, I, I sort of would make a note of my favorite ones. I guess we're all a bit biased, but you do boil it down. So, so in other words, you know, once, once you have completed the book, once you've read it and it's, you know, for a factual book, it's not easy reading because no, I don't think any factual books are easy reading and they shouldn't be because they should make you think, but, but it flows really well. So, you know, it's oh, the, you. the chapters are clear. You're, you're focusing on certain things. Hey, I'm not a, an expert critic, by the way, I'm just, yeah. not. um, but but you know as a runner, it's now there's there's those three areas that I can really focus on. Um, and again, we were talking about before we started recording the run I might do next year, and 
being local, what that means in terms of travel, travel being one of them. So I don't know, maybe you could talk about those those three areas that, that runners can take note of and really start thinking about. Yes. Um, yeah, for, for an individual runner, it really boils down to sort of three areas, and that is your, your travel, which is probably going to be the biggest area. It depends. Like a fell runner, if you're just cycling to local races and cycling home, you've got almost no impact from travel. Um, although there's a curiosity there, there's a quirk. If you, if you fueled on beef uh, for those cycle rides, actually that would be as bad as a car journey uh, on your own. But but yeah, that's a bit of a quirk. But yeah, like if you're a fell runner, it does local races, maybe cycles to them, um, or even lift chairs, actually four people in a car, in most cases is about the same as a train journey. So cars aren't always terrible if there's, if there's you know, if, if they're full um, or even, you know, two or three people. Um, but your race travel or your travel for your training, that's that's going to be, yeah, one of the, the three big areas. Um, the next one will, again, depends depends what you eat and stuff. But yeah, how you fuel um, is going to be a huge a huge area. Um, and and you, probably most people realise now there, there was a huge uh, four year study uh, done by Oxford University, and it's on an amazing website called um, our ourworldindata.org. Uh, you can go and look at it uh, and it was yeah basically saying you know from by by giving up meat and dairy you can you cut your footprint from food um by up to 73 percent so that's a huge uh change yeah. appreciate not everyone's going to turn vegan uh when i saw the graphs on that study i i basically turned vegan from it because i saw how bad meat and dairy are and beef is by far it's just incredibly far worse than than anything else and lamb's next um, but there's a huge gap between beef and everything else. It's, it's, it's staggering. And I do go into that in the book a bit. Um, but yeah, no one's expecting everyone to go vegan. But if people can eat less beef and, and less red meat and less dairy, um, you know, we can make some progress globally. Um, but yeah, the interesting element for runners was, yeah, we, we're often told, you know, you need good protein. Um, and of course, most of that protein often comes from animals. Well, that's what I used to do, you know, the chocolate milk and so on. But but yeah, you, you can. Um, yeah, if you're careful, you can you can do just as well on um, on sort of plant-based options, which are just far fewer greenhouse gases being emitted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the food one, people get very yeah. food and 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 really don't like to be told, you know, what you're doing is is bad. So that's the one I get more into more debates on Twitter than anything else. Probably is the is the food. Um, and thirdly, the next one is our kit and yeah our shoes and our you know you think in the running world all, all you need is, is a pair of shoes i think i've already used that phrase myself but it's not it's not true um you know if i look if i look at my my collection of you know huge collection of t-shirts and shorts and, and and shoes and i and i'm honest in the book about how many pairs of shoes i had at the time which was quite horrifying when i worked out the the footprint of you know the footprint pun not intended uh of those shoes and then i really look into well, what became frustrating in the book was so fast fashion or fashion overall or clothing overall has a terrible footprint on the planet, which could be up to 10 percent of of global uh, greenhouse gases. But but that is disputed a little bit, the 10 percent thing. But it's probably six or eight percent. It's probably in there, um, which is still huge when then that um, when sort of aviation isn't quite that much. So like the clothing industry could be as bad um, as as flying. Uh, you know, as the avi avi aviation industry, as I say, that's something that gets 
disputed and debated, but it, it's it's much worse than 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 I realised. Um, and we 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 actually end up with a lot of kit, um, or I do. And and if you're into ultra running, you know, I've got packs, I've got waterproofs, I've got torches, I've got watches, I've got I've bought, um, uh, well, yeah, all the stuff you buy has has a footprint. I've got a treadmill, I've got kettlebells. Um, you know your foam rollers it, it, there's all sorts and then i do things like races like the spine you know all the tour de gion that we were just mentioning you know and i need, I need poles and i need spare poles um uh and the, the, you know waterproof trousers mid layers there's a lot of kit yeah. um and all of that has a, anything has that's been made has a production a cost usually the cost is the environmental cost has come at the production stage usually to create it in the first place often it's the energy um to power the factories which usually isn't renewable at the moment um that you know that that is changing a little bit but it's still a terrible footprint and then oh yeah the, the clothing stuff there are toxic dyes there's water waste there's forever chemicals there's slave labor child labor in the cotton industry especially i know we don't run in much in cotton but yeah there's a whole bit on race t-shirts and so on yeah. Um, it really depressing stuff. And what I found difficult was trying to draw a line between, OK, fast fashion is terrible. It does all this stuff. And, and I guess underpinning all of that is basically overconsumption, mm. overconsumption crisis. We're making too much stuff. These brands tell us, oh, we've got a better one. So, you know, buy the better one, ignore the old one, throw that away. And then there's a huge waste crisis as well. But that isn't quite as bad as the overconsumption in the first place. Um, and yeah, none of none of our shoes, almost none of our kits is nearly all made from fossil fuels polyester is a fossil fuel um that's that's oil effectively um and and yeah 69 percent of all our clothing globally is is now made from polyester you know plastic fossil fuels um in a way that's not a huge problem if i've got to be careful with that phrase actually yeah it is a huge problem but you know if you've got something like like a plastic box right like a plastic box is is plastic's actually really good like it's strong it's flexible it lasts so if you're using it that's great, but when you throw it away, that's bad. Uh, and, and we've probably all seen, yeah, I go into the plastic waste crisis sort of in the book a bit as well. And we've hopefully, most of us have seen sort of David Attenborough films and stuff that have really brought that home, mm. about what's going on in the oceans and so on. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm losing track a bit of where I was, but yeah, the kit, the kit uh, and our shoes, our shoes are almost, none of them are recyclable and they're all made of plastic as well. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a big, I would say, a big problem there. Um, and I mean, what fascinated me while I was looking into all of this is, um, yeah, how much how much is it kind of my fault and what can I do about it and what should I do about it? Um, and we're not, I think I, I reached the conclusion that, you know, those are the big three areas, I suppose, do what you can in those, you know, but look for progress. No one's going to be perfect. Like, it's just impossible because you know everything you do pretty much emits some greenhouse gases so it's impossible to to be perfect um and then it's kind of like you know it's not even fair that i should make all these sacrifices when well the, the richest one percent in the world create as much greenhouse gases twice sorry twice the greenhouse gases of the bottom 50 percent um uh, 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 of earners uh, in the world so like hold on you know us people in the middle who care about this stuff and have made some sacrifices is it really you know us solving all this um you know clearly there are governments corporations rich super emitters who who can do so much more but yeah we probably have to i feel like we probably have to pester them and, and remind them and make a noise about that um so to me emailing your mp 
joining the green runners, get, getting involved in street protests with Extinction Rebellion or Just Stop Oil or, or civil disobedience, um, or even just joining in online campaigns is, is something. Um, to me, all of that is more worthwhile than you making sure you sort of wash up your hummus pots for for recycling because you know that's that's a tiny tiny impact I, I i tried in the book to rank you know create a bit of a hierarchy of of what's going to have the most impact because i was confused by it in the past you know and we're often told by politicians oh yeah do your recycling that'll sort it all out yeah. um and it, and it and it really won't recycling is, is way down the list of things you know impact that we can do um yeah sorry i did try and warn you you got me you got me <laughs> you got me going off waffling on uh, that <laughs> this is great. This is great because, you know, we're, we're talking about changing behavior, aren't we? Changing human behavior. And, you know, that's that's a field of its own. Um, and um, and I think, you know, even just people getting some of some of this information, of hearing you, you know, the importance is so obvious when you when you start thinking about how our water system is full of all of this stuff across the world. Our air is full of all of this stuff. We're breathing it. We're consuming it um, ourselves. And um, and when people start to understand that, I mean, we've got to be careful not to tell people what to do as such, because no one likes to be told what to do. It's um, it's having those conversations about change where people come up with their own reasons to change because they've realized that that what they're doing um, has has an impact. And I, th I mean, lots of things stood out from from the book for me. And uh, we could talk about it for, for hours and hours. But but the one thing that, that might resonate with, with people listening, particularly runners, is is on the shoe thing and the mileage. Because, yeah, from word go of going into running shops, you're told, oh, four, five hundred miles and then you need to change them. Now, I've kept a lot of my shoes just because I've always had this idea of well, don't, they're sort of OK for gardening or if I'm going paddle boarding or walking on rocks and things. I can just keep them because they're, they're fine. But actually now I can pull some of those out of retirement because they've probably done, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred miles. But then I hear you talking about it in the book and, and also Dan. And he that's really inspired me to think about what he's done and sewing up his shoes and wearing secondhand kit. Do you know what I mean? That, I think that kind of message is so powerful and so inspiring because then when you see the new kit in the magazine or online, you think, well, wow, no, I don't need that. I've got I've got plenty of good kit here. I don't need anything else. Yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. And uh, yeah, fascinating that, that that's what's stuck in your mind. It's um, yeah. I, so I, like like a lot of runners, I believed you know your shoes would kind of injure you after three to five hundred miles, and then I thought I'll, I must find this research, and uh, I couldn't find <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and I've looked at quite a lot of quite a lot of shoe shoe related research and there is quite a lot of course because these companies will pay for research that hopefully shows them in a good light yeah um so there's quite a lot of research on cushioning actually like cushion shoes and what that might do and quite often actually it says you know that, that as cushioning might might not be that great for you um uh but there are it is mixed there are some studies more recently actually trying to imply that that um that might help you um, but yeah, it's quite mixed. But yeah, I couldn't find anything linking injury, to, properly linking injury to um, our running shoes. And then, yeah, I was listening to people like Dan, who's comfortably doing a thousand miles in his shoes, often runs on roads as well. Um, and and for those who don't know, Dan is, a, yeah, a, a record breaking international runner. Um, um, and I was keep getting anecdotes, chatting to friends, you know, and I've got a load of friends who are quite proud of, you know, getting at least a thousand miles out their shoes. And so I was more conscious about trying to make them last. 
Um, and yeah, I've got a couple of pairs. Um, I can just about see them out of my window here. Um, yeah, they've done comfortably a thousand miles. Now it's not, it does depend on various things, your technique, the terrain, you know, the shoe, how durable is it? Um, stuff like that. And I must admit, I've got a couple of, I've got another pair that aren't going to last that long. Um, what's happened is, is the sort of, yeah, the outside, I'm, I supinate, so my, my feet bend outwards, if you know what I mean. So the heels on a particular pair, you know, is getting really worn down there. And, and sometime soon that's going to be, that's going to, is going to cause me a bit of, uh discomfort or stress there so they're not gonna last a thousand miles i'll just you know just being honest yeah. um so it depends on a few different things but i it's definitely opened my mind to think like well no he's out of 500 miles just for the sake of it um and i none of my injuries have come from shoes um and of course it, it companies want you to to come back to them sooner and buy another pair but that creates you know a big waste problem because those shoes it's hard as dan and charlotte for uh, rerun clothing have been trying to sort of rehome hundreds of pairs of shoes over the last couple of years and and uh that gets difficult you know so if they're in okay nick you know then then hopefully there are some charities um homeless charities and refugee places that um might take them but but not always and and if they're really you know um the, well yeah there's, there's a big waste problem around shoes so um i think there's a bit of onus on us to make them last a bit longer maybe clean them a bit better maybe just tape up a hole or, or sew it up but also uh it's the companies really that need to do better and and maybe yeah we'll make less really make less shoes because we've got lots of good shoes yeah and that's it and again that that's a really big message that comes through is is that let let's consume less we don't need it we might want it and it's this whole thing of balance of wants and needs you know you may want it but you don't actually need it um and i must say i must say yeah thanks for thanks for mentioning that but it is hard and, and i'm still I, again i'll just be honest like i'm still excited if i see a new shoe or if it arrives i'm still like oh wow so i i mean i'm better at that now that i know the damage caused but i i'm just going to be honest like I, I can't say to everyone hey you mustn't enjoy new shoes anymore um and and yeah there, there will be times where a new shoe is is legitimate i think um but it has changed my my approach, and I, you know, I just don't need as many pairs as I thought, and they will last longer. But you know, we are all human; we're all human too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think you know we've got to acknowledge that most runners love kit, uh, but it's just pausing, isn't it? It's just pausing, and if and if this this book and your work and you know continued work around this just helps the people just to think a little bit more um about you know how they can contribute and their, their legacy you know how how do they want to leave things for the next generations mm. they may just make a different decision to the one that they would otherwise have have made and the, and you know you've got some some great ways of putting it that you know the most sustainable kits the kit you already have i mean it's that's so catchy um you know i must thank dan and dan and charlotte for that that's yeah that that's oh, that's, 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 that's theirs yeah yeah um, um but it's totally true yeah yeah no brilliant so i guess you're not going to have a load of t-shirts made with that put on then <laughs> well this is um you know i was one of the co-founders of, of the green runners and this was one of our debates actually that went on for quite a long time was like you know often the best way to get a message across is, is get loads of people in t-shirts with that message on isn't it and yeah. but it was like you know, I won't go on about race T-shirts now. It's in the book and Dan and Charlotte have done a great job of raising, raising awareness. But, you know, all these races giving out free T-shirts and then and then they're often badly made and, and bad colours and bad badly fitted. And yeah. then we don't want, you know, we don't want them. We don't value them. We just throw them out. And yeah. that's a huge, 
it's not actually the afterlife waste so much it's, it's the production waste and, and people have made those and, and they might have even done themselves some damage in making them and, and certainly the environment has been damaged um in making them and and then we just go oh, oh i picked up that year but I, a year later i didn't want it i didn't use it and you throw it away and that's you know that's terrible um so yeah we do we realized we couldn't make t-shirts saying the green runners really so we we've made yeah we made a badge that 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 um you know might not suit everyone but like then you can stick it wherever you want you know you can put it on your pack or your t-shirt or your or your buff um or your shorts if you want um so yeah it's more versatile and we thought that was a better you know obviously some tiny amount of resources have gone into making it but we thought that was a justified amount no the, the patch is awesome because there's <laughs> something is so unique about it i mean i i bought a load of them i guess oh. I, and, and i put them on different shorts and on my pack i've got one on a hat and um and you know they're they're great because you're putting it on kit you've already got yeah yeah so it's not new kit so that's um yeah i think i think hopefully we've got the balance right there yeah. but we still wanted you know, you know we still wanted to spread some awareness if we could i suppose yeah yeah and you practice your sewing skills and while i did that i then repaired some of my shorts because they always go underneath they will fall apart <laughs> so now my sewing skills are picking up so i'm even going to try sewing up some shoes now oh brilliant yeah it's a bit of fun and again in the book dan dan sort of encourages people to go and experiment because he says like if a pair of shoes is kind of if they're a bit broken but they might be fixable um yeah give it a go because there's some quite good tape around there there's some some glue i use something called tough tape tough. um and there's a particular type of glue i'm get off the top of my head what it's called but super glue super glue can fix some things uh or a needle and thread um and yeah most of my shoes fail firstly on the upper actually in, the, in a particular place where there's a lot of um where they move a lot um and but usually it's pretty flexible and they'll do a few more hundred miles so i think i i, I guess I, I love what dan and charlotte do in, in almost trying to encourage us all to almost put you know bright bits of tape on it to celebrate mm. the fact that we're, we're fixing things and in you know in japan um things tend to get fixed with gold uh no i don't no i don't mean like literal the metal <laughs> gold but like with gold thread or uh, gold elements and and so it's become part of the beauty of an item you know in japan they're like that so it's not this, this such a huge change as we might think but almost celebrating repairing yeah um, yeah yeah and actually in the book you've got pictures of dan doing that stuff and and you're you're in his place aren't you the rerun place with all the shoes and, and everything there so you can see it in action and i think on the rerun website you on there some actual videos you can watch to show you how to do it yeah 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 they, they've they've got some great resources um and yeah i'm still experimenting i've, I've tried one or two things like sometimes the tape comes off and, and you might have to cut it in a different shape or or do it in a different place or, or maybe use some glue um so i'm still experimenting i'm still learning but um it's uh it was quite liberating to think okay it's got a hole in but actually it's perfectly usable otherwise the the, the outsole the underneath is still fine yeah. um um yeah so i'm getting better at that um but yeah it, again yeah it, it's not it's it, I, I don't do it perfectly it, like a, a, I, I do like the phrase you know sort of progress not perfection because perfection's off-putting the idea we should be perfect and it, it's just impossible so um but a little bit of progress is 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 good. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, that's brilliant. So, um, listen, it's been fantastic to chat. Um, but uh, where where can people find out more? So, um, well, if they are interested in the book, it's we can't run away from this. Uh, it's only come out um, only about a week ago, if that actually. Um, and 
the best place to get it uh, is from Vertebrate Publishing or from their website. Um, they're you know they're a small company based in Sheffield and they they only do kind of outdoor books, um, mostly sort of climbing, running, cycling. So they're very specific, um, and they're just a wonderful bunch. And they've really twice now with my books, they've really sort of analysed all their. My previous book actually might have been the world's first carbon negative book because they they sort of analysed with an external auditor, our carbon, who I've worked with. Um, they analysed the whole process of, of, you know, where does the book travel? How is it printed? What paper do we use? What ink do we use? Uh, how many copies do we send out, you know, for review? Um, and, and they improved everything they could and then and then offset which um, what they couldn't, which it, which is another debate, which is in the book. Um, but I'm really proud of them for that. And then they went through everything again this time around as well to see could they improve again and and I never even directly encouraged them to do that and never you know never stipulated they had to but they wanted to and I just thought you know people are making that effort you know the small and often it is the small brands you'll see in the book um but small companies making the effort um so yeah you can buy it from Amazon for example but they don't make quite as much money from it um if you do that but it, yeah it is on Amazon um but yeah, if you go to Vertebrate Publishing's website, you can buy it from them. Um, and if anyone does, much appreciated. Brilliant, brilliant. And what about you, sort of social media wise, and following what you're up to? Uh, probably, I mean, I yeah, of all those things, I, I probably enjoy Instagram the most. Um, I think I'm ultra underscore demo on there. Uh, if people want to follow me, that's lovely. Uh, but I do bang on about this type of boring stuff quite a bit, so uh, they might not want to. Who knows? But yeah, and. <laughs> uh you know any any uh any support on this stuff is is appreciated um thank you well it's it's all of our planet it's a collective isn't it we we're all here because of the planet so you know it's something yeah. we're really interested in but uh so we're doing our bit we're doing our bit yeah thank you well thank you for your bit as well so oh. to speak. <laughs> cool all right well listen thanks again uh for your time it's been great to catch up and um we'll catch up again soon Absolutely. Thanks, man. Happy running. And uh, yeah, thanks again for this. Cheers. Cheers, dude.